She looked at the horizon with a distant smile, tears streaming down her face. Charles watched her, amazed. Simon's chariot was elevated ten meters higher than the other chariots, and a wax statue of him sat in at the apex, in full emperor's regalia, with the flag of the great Snuffleupagus waving proudly beside him. Simon was underneath, behind several layers of bronze. An army of thirty thousand naked men ran screaming and rioting and looting and raping the wives and daughters of the Handrites. Victory is ours! Some of the men shouted. Long live his highness! Others proclaimed. Simon sat inside the chariot on a sofa with the royal guide. I feel strange, he said. Really? Why is that? The guide replied. Simon put his elbow on his knee and his chin in his hand, stirred his martini lamely with the little umbrella, and said, It's so empty. Meaningless. I mean, my father, and my father's father, and the whole history of my people has always been all about defeating the Handrites. Now we've just had an overwhelming victory, and I feel empty. Shouldn't I feel good or something? The guide replied. You have to meet the ruler of the Handrites now. We'll discuss this later. Pull yourself together now. You'll need to be sharp and focused to negotiate the terms of their surrender. Okay, Simon said, and began a deep breathing exercise, visualizing symmetrical things. A high officer of the army opened the door, and many soldiers lined up outside, making him a protected path to the entrance of the capital building of the Handrite people. Simon looked up and saw the most beautiful palace he had ever seen. The whole building seemed to be made of crystals. He approached the door, straightened his collar, and walked in. The enemy soldiers threw down their swords and stood with their hands raised in the air. One of them said, You're too late. The Empress has committed suicide, mourning the pain of her people. We have no ruler for you to negotiate with. Therefore, you must be our ruler. Simon nodded seriously and leaned to his guide. Guess I got that one out of the way. The enemy officer led Simon to a large set of double doors, which swung open to reveal a large auditorium, much like his own. He walked down the pathway, up to the step to the throne where he saw a beautiful female corpse in a blue dress with a red sword. He lifted the chin of his fallen rival to pay his last respects and to look her in the eye. Simon's stomach dropped, and the whole illusion was shattered, and he remembered who he was, 
when he saw her face. The ruler of the Handrites was the deeply familiar face of his comrade, Blythe. Confusion set in, then disbelief, then numbness, then pain, then a fiery and self-directed rage. Then came Simon's scream. From outside the projection, the shaman Simon had come to think of as his royal guide began to fade the scene back to the waiting room where it had all begun. Then came Simon's awakening. For most of his life, his sole purpose had been to protect her. He looked into her lifeless eyes and felt her fading away. He panicked until he saw the code underneath. He didn't understand. Neither did he hesitate. He saw that it was a projection. A projection of Blythe as she was three years earlier when she had been to Palace Three. He ran a search and found, as Charles the Grey was waiting outside and had his history pulled up, a much more recent signature in Charles's experimental new world, the coffee house, where one lone island sat with a mirrored pyramid open to all dimensions. Blythe had met with Charles there to ask him for help freeing Simon. Simon reversed the fading of the world, much to the surprise of the shaman of Palace Three, who was unaware of his prowess as a free world hacker. Then he transferred this handwrite empress to the lone coffeehouse island, where she took the form of Blythe. And he decided to change the wild red hair of Blythe's doppelganger to the long brown hair of his favorite imaginary concubine, Carmina. Then, just to be sure she would never die, he backed up the whole island, 36 to the power of 16 times. The shaman took over. The world vanished to Simon's eyes. And the whole experience, from the day he began to civilize a people in grass huts to what he had just done, all faded from his recent memory. And in the following hours... Simon sat in the same dark room in which he had first entered into this stage. The guide sat patiently with him, helping Simon to readjust to the timeline. So, Blythe is okay? Yes, she's okay. Simon stared at the ground for a while longer. Sometimes he would cry, and sometimes he would just stare. A hard lesson, he said. Yes, it is, the guide replied. The one thing that united all the people, made them shout at my speeches, was to go kill her. Why her? You made it her, Simon. It's always the person you love the most. Simon folded his arms over his stomach. A hard lesson. He rocked back and forth for a while. I made such an awful dictator. The guide chuckled. If you can show me a good one, I'll shut this palace down. That's the point. Simon nodded, starting to come out of it. Is there anything else that unites so many people under one guy? I mean, anything besides a common enemy? The shaman replied, People are not made to be united under one guy. People are united already. 
As soon as you say they're not and implement an artificial solution to make them united, then you divide them. Even then they are still truly united, like the cosmos is united. Simon nodded as if in agreement, then said, Huh? Don't worry about it, the guide replied. So no one saw me, no one but you, right? Simon asked. Only me, and I'm sworn never to reveal any of it. You can share your experiences, though, with others who share the title, the guide explained. The title? Simon asked. The guide nodded. The sons and daughters of the great Snuffleupagus. Simon smiled and looked back down at the ground. Then he began to laugh. He began to laugh hysterically. Then he began to calm down, and he suddenly looked up with wide eyes. The shaman said, What is it, Simon? Simon looked at the shaman and said, I can do it. It's time. Simon opened his physical eyes, let out a guttural exclamation, reached around and pulled out the plug. He stood up abruptly to find himself surrounded by bodies and windows. He looked at his charred and tattered rebel uniform, felt the plug on the back of his neck, felt his pulse, and began to shout out loud, Yee-haw! A large blue dragonfly appeared outside the window, and a rebel against the window with suction cups made an incision with a laser in a large circle, pulled it away from the building as he pulled himself back into the bird, climbed up the window and stepped into it. Get up, he said, and the twelve-year-old girl who was flying the machine got up, and Simon sat in the pilot's chair and flew away from that place, looking out over Guilford Point Metropolis. Bluebird Simon is back! Meanwhile, on the first coffeehouse island, a floor of polished malachite at a wooden table sat a girl who looked just like Blythe. She looked out at the other islands and saw the other girls looking back at her. They could never leave this place and they could never die. Thank mm-hmm. you.